0: Chapter seven of Hester A Story of Contemporary Life by Margaret O. Oliphant This Librivox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anne Erickson, Toronto. Chapter seven Settling Down These alarms, however, did not come to anything, and as the days passed on, Mrs. John accustomed herself to her new position and settled down to it quietly. She got used to the little meetings in the summer house or on the bench in front of her own windows and soon learned to remark with the others upon the freedom with which Mr. Mildmay Vernon took the best place, not taking any trouble to remark to whom it really belonged. He was a great advantage to the ladies of the vernonry in giving them a subject upon which they could always be eloquent. Even when they could not talk of it openly, they would give each other little looks aside, with many nods of the head and an occasional biting innuendo. And this amused the ladies wonderfully, and kept them, perhaps, now and then, from criticizing each other, as such close neighbors could scarcely fail to do. But even more interesting than Mr. Mildmay Vernon and his mannish selfishness was Catherine, the universal subject on which they could fraternize even with Mildmay Vernon himself. He was caustic and attacked her keenly, but the sisters never failed to profess a great affection for their cousin, "'declaring that from Catherine one accepted anything, "'since one felt that it was only her gauche way of doing things, "'or the fault of her education, but that she always meant well. "'Dear Catherine, it was such a pity,' they said. "'Mrs. John never quite adopted either style of remark, "'but the subject was endless, and always afforded something to say, "'and there was a little pleasure in hearing Catherine set down from her superior place.' even though a gentler disposition and simpler mind prevented mrs john herself from adding to the felicities of the discussion Catherine had taken no notice of the unlucky beginning which had given so much alarm to mrs john and so much amusement to the other members of the establishment when she came in state to call on the mourner which she did a few days after with that amused toleration of the little weaknesses of her dependence, which was as natural in Catherine's position as the eager and somewhat spiteful discussion of her was in theirs. Miss Fernand had tapped Hester on the cheek and said, "'This is the good child who would not let me disturb her mother.' But when Mrs. John began to apologize and explain, Catherine had stopped her, saying, "'She was quite right,' with a decisive brevity and turning to another subject. The magnanimity of this would have touched Hester's heart, but for the half-mocking smile and air of amusement with which it was said, and which made the girl much angrier than before. It cannot be denied that this was to some extent the tone unconsciously adopted by Catherine in her dealings with the poor relations who were so largely indebted to her bounty. There was a great deal that was ridiculous in their little affectations and discontents, and the half-resentment, half-exaction with which they received her benefits these might have made her close her heart against them and turned her into a misanthrope but though the effect produced was different from this it was not perhaps more desirable catherine though she did not become misanthropical became cynical in spite of herself she tolerated everything and smiled at it she became indulgent and contemptuous what did it matter what they said or felt if they learned to consider her gifts as their right if they comforted themselves in the humiliation of receiving by mocking at the giver poor things that was their misfortune it did not harm her upon her serene heights she laughed at hester tapping her cheek had she been perhaps less tolerant less easy to satisfy she would not have excited that burning sense of shame and resentment in the girl's heart but Catherine was very kind She came in the afternoon in the carriage and took them out with her for a drive to the admiration of all beholders the miss vernon ridgeways inspected this from behind their curtains and calculated how long it was since catherine had shown such a civility to themselves and how soon mrs john would find out the brief character of these attentions and the drive was perhaps not quite so successful as might have been expected mrs john indeed gave her relative all the entertainment she could have desired she became tearful and fell away altogether into her pocket-handkerchief at almost every turn of the road saying ah oh, how oh well i remember then emerged from the cambric cloud and cheered up again till the next turn came in a way which would have afforded catherine great amusement but for the two blazing indignant angry eyes of hester fixed from the opposite side upon her mother's foolish little pantomime and her patroness's genial satisfaction with equal fury pain and penetration Esther could not endure the constant repetition of that outburst of pathos the smiles that would follow the sudden relapse as her mother was recalled by a new recollection to a sense of what was necessary in her touching position but still less could she bear the lurking smile in Catherine Vernon's eyes, and her inclination to draw the poor lady out, sometimes even by a touch of what Hester felt to be mock sympathy. The girl could scarcely contain herself as she drove along facing these two ladies, seeing, even against her will, a great deal which perhaps they themselves were only half conscious of. "'Oh, why would mother be so silly?' and cousin Catherine, this rich woman who had them all in her power, why had not she more respect for weakness? Esther turned with an angry longing to her idea of putting her own small young figure between her mother and all those spurns and scoffs, of carrying her away and working for her and owing nothing to anybody. When they stopped at the door of Cayley's, the great shop of Redborough, and half a dozen obsequious attendants started out to devote themselves to the lightest suggestion of the great miss vernon mrs john cleared up and enjoyed the reflected distinction to the bottom of her heart but hester pale and furious compelled to sit there as part of the pageant could scarcely keep still and was within an ace of jumping out of the carriage and dragging her mother after her so indignant was she so humiliated "'Cousin Catherine threw a little fichu of black lace "'into the girl's lap, with a careless, liberal, "'You want something for your neck, Hester, "'which the girl would have thrown at her had she dared, "'and it would not have taken much to wind her up "'to that point of daring. "'But Mrs. John went home quite pleased with her outing. "'It was a melancholy pleasure, to be sure,' she said. "'All those places I used to know so well "'before you were born, Hester,' "'and Cayley's, where I used to spend so much money. "'But, after all, it is a pleasure to come back "'among the people that know you. "'Mr. Cayley was so very civil. "'Did you notice? "'I think he paid more attention to me even than to Catherine. "'Of course he remembered that as long as I was well off, "'I always used to go there for everything. "'It was very sad, but I am glad to have done it. "'And then Catherine was so kind. "'Let me see that pretty lace thing she gave you.' "'It is exactly what you wanted. "'You must be sure to put it on "'when we go there to-morrow to luncheon.' Esther would have liked to tear it in pieces "'and throw it in Miss Vernon's face, "'but her mother regarded everything "'from a very different point of view. "'Catherine Vernon, on her side, "'talked a great deal to Edward "'that evening of the comical scene, "'and how she could not get the advantage "'of poor Mrs. John's little minauderie "'because of that child with her two big eyes.' "'I was afraid to stir for her. "'I scarcely dared to say a word. "'I expected every moment to be called to give an account of myself,' she said. "'It added very much to her enjoyment of all the humours of her life "'that she had this companion to tell them to. "'He was her confidant, and heard everything with the tenderest interest "'and a great many amusing comments of his own. "'Certainly in this one particular at least "'her desire to be of use to her relations had met with a rich reward.' No son was ever more attentive to his mother, and all his habits were so nice and good. A young man who gets up to botanize in the morning, who will sit at home at night, who has no evil inclinations, how delightful he is to the female members of his family, and with what applause and gratitude they repay him for his goodness. And Miss Vernon felt the force of that additional family bond which arises from the fact that all the interests of the household Different as their age and pursuits may be are the same nothing that concerned the one but must have an interest for the other perhaps edward did not speak so much about himself or even about the business which was naturally of the first interest to her as he might have done but she had scarcely as yet found this out and certainly he entered into all she told him on her side with the most confidential fulness the vernonry has always been as good as a comedy she said I have to be so cautious not to offend them, and I must be on my P's and Q's with this little girl. There is a great deal of fun to be got out of her, but we must keep it strictly to ourselves. Oh, strictly, said Edward, with a curious little twist about the corners of his mouth. He had not told the story of his own encounter with the new subject of amusement, which was strange, but he was a young man who kept his own counsel— having his own fortune to make, as had been oppressed upon him from his birth. There were only two other members of the Vernon community with whom the strangers had not yet made acquaintance, for, as has been already said, Mrs. Reginald Vernon, the young widow who was altogether wrapped up in her four children, and old Captain and Mrs. Morgan on the west side of the Vernonry, scarcely counted at all, and these were its gayest and most brilliant members, the present dwellers in the White House." Harry and Ellen Vernon, the most independent of all the little community. Stories were current in it that Harry in business matters had begun to set himself in something like opposition to Catherine Vernon not long after she had given up the conduct of the bank into his hands, while Ellen detached herself openly from her aunt Catherine's court, and had set up a sort of Princess of Wales's drawing-room of her own. It was some time before they appeared at the Vernonry harry driving his sister in a phaeton with a pair of high-stepping horses which seemed scarcely to touch the ground the whole population of the place was stirred by the appearance of this brilliant equipage mrs reginald vernon's little boy though bound under solemn penalties never to enter the gardens came round and hung upon the gate to gaze even old captain morgan rose from his window to take another look mr mildmay vernon came out with his newspaper in his hand and if the sisters did not appear it was not from want of curiosity but because ellen vernon had not received their civilities when she came to redborough with the cordiality they had a right to expect catherine vernon's fine sleek horses made no such impression as did this dashing pair and the pair who descended from the phaeton were as dashing as their steeds ellen was very fair with hair half flaxen half golden in light little curls like a baby's upon her forehead which was not the fashion in those days and therefore much more effective she was dressed in a rich red purple gown charitably supposed to be second morning by the addition of a little lace and a black ribbon with yards of silken train sweeping after her and sweeping up to all the little mats at the doors as she went in Harry was in the lightest of light clothes, but he had a tiny hatband supposed to answer all necessities in the way of respect to John Vernon deceased, or to John's widow living. Esther, standing shyly by, thought this new cousin Ellen the most beautiful creature she had ever seen. Her daintiness and her fineness, her airy fairness of face, set off by the rich color of her dress, was dazzling as she came into the brown room, with its two inhabitants in mourning and the tall, light-coloured young man after her. Mrs. John made them her little curtsey, shook hands with them, gave her greeting and a smile or two, and then had recourse to her handkerchief. "'Oh, yes, thanks,' she said. "'I have quite settled down. "'I am very comfortable, but everything is so changed. "'To go away from the White House, "'where I had everything I wished for, "'and then to come back here, it is a great difference.' "'Oh, but this is so much nicer than the White House,' cried Ellen. "'This is delightfully old-fashioned. "'I would give the world to have the vernonry. "'If Aunt Catherine had only given it to us when we came here "'and taken the White House for the pensioner,' she was about to say, "'but paused in time, other relations. "'I should have liked it so much better, and probably so would you.' "'Mrs. John shook her head. "'I never could have gone back to it in the same circumstances,' she said. "'and therefore I would prefer not to go to it at all.' "'Oh, but you must come and see me,' said Ellen. "'And you too,' turning to Hester. "'I am so fond of getting among little girls "'and feeling myself quite young again. "'Come and spend a long day with me, won't you? "'I will show you all my things, "'and Harry shall drive us out if you like driving. "'May she come? "'We have always something going on. "'Aunt Catherine's is the old set, "'and ours is the young set,' she said with a laugh." She spoke with a little accompaniment of chains and bracelets, a soft jingle as of harness about her, being very lively and full of little gestures, pretty bridlings of her head and movements of her hands. Harry behind backed her up, as seemed to be his duty. She is dreadfully wild, he said. She would like to be always on the go. Oh, Harry, nothing of the sort, but if we don't enjoy ourselves when we are young, when are we to do it? "'And then I say it is good policy. Don't you think so, Mrs. Vernon? "'You see, we are just like shopkeepers. All the people hereabouts are our customers. "'Aunt Catherine gives big dinners for the old fogies, "'but we do just as much good keeping the young ones jolly, and we keep ourselves jolly too.' "'Indeed, Miss Ellen,' said Mrs. John, with some dignity. "'I never heard such an idea that bankers were like shopkeepers.' Catherine must have made great changes indeed if it is like that it never was so in my time oh said ellen you were too grand to allow it that is all but it is the fashion now to speak plain and she laughed and harry laughed as if it had been the best joke in the world but we mustn't say so before aunt Catherine. cried the gay young woman she disapproves of us both as it is perhaps not so much of harry for she likes the boys best you know "'But, oh, dreadfully of me, if you want to keep in favour with Aunt Catherine, isn't your name Hester?' "'I don't,' said Hester abruptly, without further question. "'Oh, Harry, look here, here's another rebel. Isn't it fun? I thought you were nice from the very first look of you.' "'And here Ellen rose with a still greater jingle of all her trappings, and touched with her own delicate fair cheek the darker oval of Hester's, which coloured high with shyness and pleasure.' "'I'll tell you what I'll do. "'I'll come for you one of these days. "'Are you doing lessons now? "'What are you learning? "'Oh, she may have a holiday for one day.' "'That is just what I ought to be inquiring about,' said Mrs. John. "'A governess. "'I'm afraid I am not able to carry her on myself. "'I have taught her,' the poor lady said with pride. "'All she knows.' Hester listened with a gasp of astonishment. "'What Mrs. John meant was all she knew herself.' which was not much. And how about her teaching and her independence, and the cour she felt herself ready to open? She was obliged to overcome her shyness and explain herself. I don't want to learn, she said. I want to teach. I can speak French and Italian and German. I want to open a cour. Don't you think I might open a cours? I know that I could teach, for I am so fond of it, and I want something to do having got all this out like a sudden shot from a gun hester stopped short got behind her mother and was heard no more oh cried ellen Cheech that little thing and then she turned to her brother isn't it fine she said it would be a shame to stop her when she wishes it french and italian and german only fancy i don't know what a cour is but whatever it is you shall have it dear i promise you certainly you shall have it i will not have you kept back for the want of that esther was a great deal too much excited to laugh and here mrs john interfered you must excuse me she said nervously do not think i don't feel the kindness oh you must excuse me i could not let her teach my poor husband would never have suffered it for a moment and what would Catherine say a vernon oh no no it is impossible "'There's nothing I would not rather do. "'She has spoken of it before, "'but I thought it only childish nonsense. "'Oh, no, no, thank heaven though we are poor,' "'cried the poor lady. "'And fallen from what we were, "'we are not fallen so far as that.' "'Oh, but it isn't falling at all,' said Ellen. "'You see, you are old-fashioned. "'Don't be angry. "'I don't mean any harm. "'But don't you know it is the fashion now "'for girls to do something?' oh but it is though the best girls do it they paint and they do needlework and they sing and they write little books and everybody is proud to be able to earn money it is only when they are clever that they can teach and then they are so proud oh i assure you mrs vernon i would not say so if it were not quite the right thing you know harry people do it in town constantly lady Mannion's daughter mends old lace and mrs markham paints things for the shops it is the fashion the very best families do it it will be quite aristocratic to have a vernon teaching i shall take lessons myself that's the thing said the good-natured harry "No, that's the best thing she shall teach you and me oh he wants to make a hole-and-corner thing of it said ellen to hide it up how silly boys are when it is the very height of the fashion and will bring us into notice directly there is old lady freeling will take her up at once and the Duchess. You may do whatever you please, but I will stand by her. You may count upon me, Hester. I will stand by you through thick and thin. You will be quite a heroine. Everybody will take you up. Mrs. John looked from one to the other aghast. Oh, no, no, pardon me, but Hester, I cannot sanction it. I cannot sanction it. Your poor papa, faltered Mrs. John. It was characteristic that in the very midst of this discussion Ellen Vernon got up with all the ringing of her caparison, and took her leave, declaring that she had forgotten that she had to go somewhere at four o'clock. "'And you know the horses will not stand, Harry,' she said. "'But whenever we are happy anywhere, we forget all our engagements. We are two such sillies, Harry and I.' She put her arm round Hester's waist as they went through the passage, and kissed her again at the door mind you are to come and spend a long long day with me she said mrs john interrupted in the midst of her remonstrances and not sure that this dazzling creature would not drive off straight somewhere or other to establish hester in her cour followed after them trying to put in another word but ellen had been placed in her seat and her dust cloak arranged round her before the poor lady could say anything and she, too, stood spellbound like all the rest to see the beautiful young couple in their grandeur. So fair, so handsome, so perfectly got up. The only fault that their severest critic could find with them was that they were too fair. Their very eyelashes were flaxen, there were no contrasts in their smooth, fair faces. But this, in conjunction with so much youth and daintiness, had a charm of its own. Mr. Mildmay Vernon had been watching for them at the window, losing all the good of his book which was from the circulating library and cost two pence a night consequently he threw away at least the half of a farthing waiting for the young people to come out when they appeared again he went to his door taking off the soft old felt hat which he wore habitually out of doors and in and kissing his hand not it is to be feared very much to his advantage For these two fine young folks paid little attention to their poor relations the miss vernon ridgeways looked out behind their curtains watching closely how fine it is to be young and rich and beautiful and on the top of the wave with what admiration all your dependents look upon you everyone in the vernonry was breathless with excitement when harry took the reins and the groom left the horses heads and the phaeton wheeled round The little boys at the gate scattered as it wheeled out, the small Vernons vindicating their gentility and relationship by standing straight in the way of the horses, and with what a whirl and dash they turned round the sweep of the road and disappeared from the longing view. Mildmay Vernon, who had taken such trouble to get a glance from them, crossed over to the door of the veranda, where Mrs. John, with the streamers of her cap blowing about her and her mind as much disturbed as her capstrings, stood still breathless watching the departure well he said so you've had the prince and princess in all their grandeur mrs john had to take a moment to collect herself before she could even make out what he had said as for hester she was so dazzled by this visit her head and her heart so beating and throbbing that she was incapable of putting up with the conversation which always made her wicked She ran away, leaving her mother at the door, and flew to her own room to recollect all that had passed, and to go over it again and again as lovers do. She put her hands over her eyes and lived over again that moment, and every detail of Cousin Ellen's appearance and every word she had said. The jingle of her chains and trinkets seemed to Hester like silver bells, a pretty individualism and sign of her presence. If she went into a dark room, or if you were blind, Hester thought, you would know by that that it was she. And the regal color of her dress, and the black lace of her bonnet, all puffed about those wonderful light locks, and her dainty shoes, and her delicate gloves, and everything about her. A long, long day, and you may count upon me, Hester. Was it possible that a creature so dazzling, so triumphant, had spoken such words to her? her heart was more elated than it had ever been before in her life and as for the work which she had made up her mind to do for the first time it seemed possible and feasible cousin ellen would arrange it for her she was far too much excited and awed to be able to laugh at the mistake cousin ellen had made in her haste about buying a cour for hester not knowing in the least what it meant in this way with all sincerity the dazzled worshippers of greatness lose their perception of the ridiculous in the persons of those who have seized upon their imaginations hester would have been revolted and angered had any one noted this ludicrous particular in the conversation through the open window the girl heard the voices of her mother and the neighbours now including the sharp voice of miss vernon ridgeway and the sound made her heart rise with a kind of indignant fury they would discuss her as if they had any understanding of such a creature, as if they knew what they were speaking about. They, old, poor, spiteful as they were, and she's so beautiful, so young, so splendid and so kind. The kindness was the chief thing, Hester said to herself, putting her fingers in her ears not to hear the ill-nature downstairs. Oh, of course they would be taking her to pieces, pouring their gall upon her. Hester felt that youth and happiness were on her own side as against the envious and old and poor. For days after, she looked in vain for the reappearance of that heavenly vision, every morning getting up with the conviction that by noon at least it would appear, every afternoon making up her mind that the dullness of the lingering hours would be brightened by the sound, the flash, the wind of rapid movement, the same delightful voice, the perfumed fair cheek, the jingle of the golden caparisons. Every day Mrs. John said, first cheerfully, then querulously, I wonder if they will come for you to-day. When it began to dawn upon Hester at last that they were not coming, the sense of deception which came over her was, in some sort, like the pangs of death. She stood still in her very being astounded, unable to understand what had happened. They were not coming again. Her very heart stood still, and all the wheels of her existence in a blank pause like death. When they began to move again, reluctantly, hoarsely, Hester felt too sick and faint for any conscious comment upon what had happened. She could not bear the commentary which she was almost forced to hear, and which she thought would kill her. "'The poor child, so you've been expecting Ellen Vernon?' which miss matilda next door said to her with an insulting laugh almost drove her frantic and not much less aggravating to the sensitive girl were her mother's frequent wonderings what could have become of them whether ellen could be ill what had happened they said they would come and fetch you to spend a day with them didn't they then why don't they come hester why don't they come the poor lady said Hester's anger and wretchedness and nervous irritation were such that she could almost have struck her mother. Was it right, in addition to her own disappointment, that she should have this question thrust upon her, and that all the pangs of her disenchantment should be discussed by contemptuous spectators? This terrible experience, which seemed to Hester to be branded upon her as by red-hot irons, made a woman of her all at once. To her own consciousness, at least, she was a child no more. End of chapter 7